Welcome to another episode of Researching Happy. My name is Matthew Iciello. This is the re- this is the podcast all about the research world of happiness and well-being. So, if you're new to the show, what we normally do is host conversations with with people that are involved in some way in the the research world of happiness or well-being. And as if you have been around, you would have heard so many of the guests so far talking about the importance, obviously, of of the outputs of the research world, but but also then the translation of that research into the, you know, the quote unquote real world. And that's an example of something I'd like to talk about today. This is going to be a bit of a different spin. So um, for those of you sort of playing at home, I've been um, traveling overseas. So I haven't, uh, you know, I had a couple of episodes sort of drop out trying to make up some ground. So I thought what would be a really interesting approach today was to try a book review. I haven't done a book review since... Uh, uh, I was thinking about it the other day, probably year 11 or something. I think it was Catch-22, I think was my book review. I wasn't very good at English in school. Um, but what I want to try today is a new book about happiness, um, which just came out. And, you know, in the world of the internet, popular people sell lots of books. And so this book is probably, I think, going to become one of the, you know, the most sold happiness books of all time. So I think it makes sense that we pay attention to it. So the book is called The Sad Truth About Happiness, S-A-A-D, Eight Secrets for Leading the Good Life by Professor Gad Sad. So in the world of online echo chambers, you you probably fall into one of three categories. You've either never heard of Gad Sad or you have heard of him, in which case you love him or you hate him. Just basically depending uh, depending on which chamber you fall into. So Gad is a professor of marketing at Concordia University in, in, in Canada. He escaped um, as, I think, a teenager or a child, the, the Lebanese Civil War, and migrated with his family to Canada. Gadsad has pioneered uh, the use of evolutionary psychology and marketing and consumer behavior. And in the sense of uh, translating research into the real world, his blog for Psychology Today and his YouTube channel, The Sad Truth, have garnered combined nearly 40 million views respectively so on that show you know if you if you google gad sad you can probably find some people who have been upset by the things that he's said um although i think he's a very balanced guy he just finds himself in one of those positions where um you know he informs people and upsets people like only an evolutionary theorist can in the year 2023 and i think that's epitomized by the tagline of his show on youtube the truth can hurt, the truth can set you free, but you can't hide from the sad truth. So why do this review? Um, like I said, I'm I'm partially making up for lost episodes, but second, like more importantly, um, it's important to see what's out there. You know, like the the research world, as we've had so many guests say in the past, it, you write a paper, it gets published, you might get. 2,000 downloads or 10,000 downloads, mostly by people who either aren't reading it very closely or who are sitting within their own little silo. And so when someone has so much online attention, they're obviously going to do 
that they've got the chance of, I guess, really creating some serious reach about the idea of happiness. And so GAD with such an online presence um, is out there. And again, like I said, this will be the most read happiness book um, within at least recent recent memory. Um, the second is that I'm just yeah excited to see what Gad says. I think he's a he's a, a public intellectual, um, and he's from outside of the world of happiness. I guess like at least the world of happiness research. Um, maybe he would disagree with that, but you know, looking at sort of like track record, it's not like he's a guy from PostSyche or someone that's written a lot about life satisfaction or, or happiness in general. So, really interested to see what someone from an outside perspective would um, would have to say. So let's start with the cover of the book. I think Gad, as you'll hear me say, has a really great sense of humor. And I think the cover is the beginning, you know, to give you a bit of a point of where he's coming from. If you didn't know his personality, I think you'd look at this and think like, you know, this is a bit of a, um, you know, this is kind of like just a standard Woman's Weekly kind of like uh, well-being guru kind of um, person. But I think this is this is Gad's sarcasm shining through. Um, he knows exactly what he's what he's um, making fun of, and he's leaning right into that. So, um, just yeah, you look. I think I don't know. You look into those eyes, and you can see he's he's pulling a joke already on on this whole field. I mean, we go into the Gad. We go into Gad. What what he calls himself? You know, he's known by a few different monikers, the Gadfather, the Honey Badger, um, and recently having lost a little bit of weight, Dr. Good Looks. You go on Twitter, you see that it's it's mostly um, witty sort of shots around the place. So speaking of shots, I guess, so so he, he clearly has um, ideas, political ideas, and throughout the book, you'll hear a few shots at his sort of favorite targets, in his own words, the Blue Head Mafia, AOC, the Pronoun Taliban, and CNN's Brian Stelter. And I think if you are a fan of GAD, you'll have a laugh at that. If you're not a fan of GAD, you can easily ignore these things and just kind of breeze straight past them. They don't really get in the way of the book at all. So next, let's let's go into the start, uh, the blurb, the Amazon blurb. So the book is described as so. Professor and de facto global therapist to an ever-growing audience of hundreds of thousands of people builds on national bestseller The Parasitic Mind to argue that happiness is not merely a changeable mood, but a process toward which we can strive by following some basic steps that have been known to humans for millennia. Or so says Professor Gad Sad, author of the sensational national bestseller The Parasitic Mind, the popular host of the Sad Truth podcast, Professor Sad roams through the scientific studies, uh, the wisdom of ancient philosophy and religion, and his extraordinary personal experience as a refugee from war-torn Lebanon turned academic celebrity to provide one of the most provocative, helpful, and entertaining listens you're likely to encounter. In The Sad Truth About Happiness, you'll learn the secrets to living the good life, including how to live the life you want, not necessarily the life expected of you, why resilience is a key to happiness, why your career needs to have a higher purpose than a paycheck, how variety turns out to be the spice of life, why marriage is so important, how Aristotle had it right when he preached moderation, and why you should take a hint from your dog and realize that playfulness equals happiness. Enlightening, bold, and good-humored, the sad truth about happiness is a lively, stimulating, and captivating as its author. 
who has become a de facto global therapist to an ever-growing audience of hundreds of thousands of people. Listen to this book and you'll see why so many seek his counsel. All right, so some big claims there and uh, we'll sort of work through them as we go. Interesting, I don't know if I had like the, the audiobook version of of, of uh, Amazon there and it talks about sort of listening to the book, but um, it's probably a sign of the times. But um, anyway, whatever. So I think just, you know, to give a high level summary, I think most of those claims are sort of met, to be honest. I think it is an entertaining listen or read. Um, I don't know that it's certainly that provocative, to be honest with you. I think it's pretty grounded, um, but certainly sort of helpful and entertaining. Um, those those um, dot points that I sort of read through about the secrets of living the good life, they roughly mirror, um, I guess, the eight chapters or the eight ideas that are useful to happiness. Um, and I think a lot of them, if you're listening to this show and you've sort of been in the post psych world for a while, a lot of them are um, sort of the bread and butter, I guess, of happiness. Um, but I think there's some really interesting perspectives. The way It's not so much the novelty of what's in the book, it's the way that it's described, the way that I think it's contextualized. And you can see that even some of these dot points, the idea that... Um, the idea that this isn't just about what's good for you. I think happiness research is really about, you know, it's often takes the frame of, you know, this is good for you almost, almost from a medical model. Like this will either prevent a bad thing or it will, you know, it will prevent future mental illness or it will promote your health. Um, whereas I think Gad has probably done a really good job of sort of merging this into like the things we're wanting, you know, he's a marketing, uh, a marketing professor. So he sort of has got the pitch right, I think, which is something we could all really learn from. So if I was to give the book like a high level summary, I would call it yeah, absolutely a very enjoyable read. It was a brief read um, that takes you through happiness 101 in an enjoyable way. Um, I don't think it promises you any answers, which is an important thing to say here, um, but it points you in the right direction to some considerations that you may have overlooked in life. And I, I think I would really contextualize that, you know, compare it to the sort of the airport bookshop guru books that you might find and to be honest the ones that i think gad might be taking a bit of a, a sarcastic swing at um, with his book cover that this is not just like here are my five tips that are going to change your life um, this is actually inviting you to reflect on what is important to you and um, how you might think about your life in it through a different lens having read the book i forgot to mention in terms of like why I do the review i was um I was in Canada for the International Positive Psychology Association conference over the weekend. And, um, you know, so this is basically a conference about happiness by happiness researchers. And Gad's book came out uh, at the same time, basically, at the same weekend. So it would have, it could have been interesting that, um, that, um, he could have actually been there to sort of talk about the book, um, but that really raised the point, I guess, for me is that these these are two disparate worlds that never really meet. This sort of public intellectual world, um, talking about happiness and well being, it doesn't really overlap with the people that are sort of doing the research. So, um, while I had a fifteen hour whatever flight home from Vancouver to Sydney, I read through Gad's book, and th and that's where we're at. Might clip that and put that at the front of the of the podcast because it makes more sense right at the front. 
So before I read the book, I jotted down some initial thoughts on the book, which I'll sort of run through like question and answer. So I had some questions. So will happiness be defined, if at all? How much will positive psychology be included in the book? How will GAD balance individual agency over happiness compared with external conditions in life? Um, will there be decision-making um, research in the book? So will there be an overlap between, I guess, more GAD's um, professional career versus sort of the, the happiness topic? And lastly, like, will it be good? Um, I was mostly concerned that this book would be a bestseller before even a page has been opened um, just due to GAD's online popularity. You know, you want to support GAD, you buy the book, pre-order it, and so it opens on the first day on Amazon as a bestseller. So it doesn't really give, um, it's not a huge drive, I guess, for this to be a fantastic book. Um, I, I can imagine compared to some of his earlier books that were probably tied a bit closer to his sort of daily research um, life where, you know, he was an up and coming emerging person, um, something like the parasitic mind. Um, there's more of, there's more, there's more at stake basically. Um, whereas now I was, I was concerned that, you know, there might not necessarily be that much at stake knowing that it's a bestseller before, before it's even been opened. Um, obviously I think that Gad has, well, I mean, obviously I think, I think that Gad has probably more, um, more rigor than that. I think that he's, you know, more virtuous than that. I think just to sort of phone it in and, um, to, you know, to answer that question, basically, I think that it is a good book. It's a great book. Um, you know, like I said, it's this sort of this happiness 101, but really from a different perspective to what Pod Psych would have taken. So we'll get into that in a middle, but that, that's the first question. You know, is it good? I think it's good, which, which I'm glad. I'm glad that it's the case. And it's not, uh, you know, I don't think that Gad's this phony guy who's just out there to sell books. So going back to the top, how will happiness be defined? So if you've been watching the show, you know that defining happiness and well-being is something that's important to us in this show. And to be honest, you know, like I said, I, I got on the flight from Vancouver at, like we boarded at midnight. So I tried to stay up as long as I could while I was reading the book, but also so that I'd come back to an Australian time zone. So like I easily could have missed if happiness was defined. I didn't really get the sense that it was clearly defined, like explicitly. Um, but it was certainly a nice, you know, he had the focus on sort of more persistent feelings of fulfillment rather than happiness merely as a positive emotion. Um, but I think he, he did the right thing by not discounting, you know, the, the sort of the, the immediate hedonistic pleasure with, you know, more eudaimonic um, long-term fulfillment. So I think he sort of covered off all bases, which is fine. And I think in the sort of the introduction chapters, he did point out the idea of, of happiness being both an antecedent and an outcome, which is an important nuance that's, that's often missed. This idea that happiness is, is valuable in its own right, but it's also um, a valuable intermediate for future things as well. So how much would Pos Psych be included in the book? Surprisingly, a lot, um, to be honest. I was expect... Uh, I. I thought there was a chance that the whole literature could have been mostly overlooked. Um, and maybe I'm just, I'm just stuck in my, my mind about the sort of the reliability and trustability of positive psychology is, is kind of outdated now. And, and that's what we said sort of following the conference that um, it's taking some big leaps, I think into the future. So 
that was endorsed, I guess, in the book that there were a lot of key researchers um, from the sort of post-psych world who were referenced in, in Gad's book, um, many of whom were actually at IPA at the conference. Um, so that was a nice sort of tie-in talking about these two worlds that don't really overlap, but it looks like there's a bit of overlap occurring. Just out of interest for those who care, I don't know who cares or not, but you know, at the IPA conference, I think Robert Biswas-Dina raised a really interesting point about novelty in the positive psychology research world. And, and I guess he shared an anecdote about sending a really novel topic um, to the Journal of Positive Psychology, which, which he said was rejected basically for not being theoretical or novel enough, although he made the point that, um, you know, nothing had been published on this topic ever. The Journal of Happiness Studies was referenced 18 times in the book, um, whereas the Journal of Positive Psychology referenced only four times. Now, I know that doesn't mean really anything, but it was an interesting, you know, I think in terms of like, if you talk impact factors and sort of reach, you would assume the Journal of PodPsych has this bigger, this bigger, more impactful sort of literature base, but interesting to see the Journal of Happiness Studies, um, you know, much more reference there. That doesn't mean anything, not really. But the point is the field of positive psychology and the researchers that sort of identify with it were throughout this book, which which was which was nice to see. <clears throat> so did he get the balance, you know, how did he balance individual agency over external conditions on in terms of um the ability to to build happiness? So, you know, there are two levels, two two extremes, I guess, when we're thinking about this. There's one group who was talking about, you know, happiness is 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 fully in your control. It doesn't matter where you're at, you can be happy. And there's the other the other that says basically your happiness is 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 almost entirely controlled by the circumstances you find yourself in, many of which are out of your control. And these two groups basically clash all the time. Um, and I think Gad struck the exact, the balance right, you know, in my opinion. Of course that, you know, making the argument that of course external conditions can have a significant impact, but there are always aspects within our control. And that sometimes, you know, that's the best we can do in life is focus on the things that are within our control when it comes to our happiness and well-being. I think Gad makes the, the extremely relevant scenario. He, he points to the extremely relevant, relevant scenario where, where people can have the same life experiences or the same life circumstances, but have very different levels of happiness. And, and that's true, basically, from the richest to the poorest, that it doesn't matter at which point you're at. There's lots of variance, I guess, within... Um, within each step of that continuum or something like that. Um, which brings me to the last one, which was, you know, Gad Sad is a, is a decision and marketing researcher. He even has a TED talk on the evolutionary roots of human decision-making. Um, so I was wondering how much would that literature feature in the book? And that's probably my disappointment in the book is that I would have liked to see a bit more of that research um, when it comes to sort of practical tools for people. I can probably give an argument for why it wasn't included, but I think for myself, a lot of the the chapters raise big questions for people like finding a partner or finding the right job. These are huge decisions and I think it would have been interesting to see a little bit more about the process of decision-making when it comes to such big um big choices and and even like if there are some like rudimentary sort of practical tools for people to help to help there so um i'll, I'll give an argument in a minute why i think <laughs> an argument why that shouldn't be there but but i think i would have liked to see probably a little bit more it just felt like a bit of a missed opportunity for me um 
you know, to give someone like a framework of like, how should you go about this thing? So throughout the book, as I was reading, I don't want to give away the eight chapters because I guess that's the, um, that's the sort of the, the IP of the book. Um, so what I want to talk is, is, I guess, three raised questions that I think the, the book highlighted for me. So these is kind of, I guess, reading between the lines, not necessarily that these were, that these were explicitly um, raised, but the three questions that came out for me were, well, the first one was, where should happiness recommendations come from? So, sorry, give me one sec. Yeah. So where should happiness research come, uh, recommendations come from? I think the book brings a really nice lens um, about how to make recommendations on happiness. Um, you know, you could say, does it come, should it come from ancient traditions? Should it come from religion? Should it come merely from scientific um, literature? Some people take either of those positions. And I think Gad, again, has struck the balance exactly right. Uh, there's a phrase that I probably learned from Gad Zad and I've forgotten what it's called, but it's almost like um, um, epistemic, like layering, something like that. Like I'll, I'll know something's true if it can, if it remains to be true across many layers of knowledge. And I think that's really where this book does a, does a really nice job. Something that I probably haven't seen so much in the past is this idea of, you know, let's start with ancient wisdom and from a range of traditions, see that something is true across you know, across ancient wisdom, then apply this evolutionary lens to the book um, or to this, whatever this, whatever this recommendation is, apply an evolutionary lens really showing here's why it might be the case, not only that it's important, but why it might be important, um, often pointing to ways we could almost um, hijack an evolutionary trait and make it more productive for us rather than less productive for us and our happiness. Um, and then demonstrating academic support for that idea at the end. So it sort of starts really broad and then gets quite um, narrow at the end. And I think that's almost this filter for recommendations that the eight, the eight points that Gad makes um, are sort of applied through. And I think that's just a nice, it's just a nice approach. I think we've talked a lot on the show about the, the risk of scientism, the idea that um, like falling into the trap that thinking, um, you know, scientific evidence can explain all things. And um, whilst it definitely has its place, it's not, it's not the whole thing. And I think Gad has done a really great job of pulling these various ways of knowing together for a really nice concrete set of recommendations. You'll, you'll have heard on a couple of episodes, particularly with, um, with uh, my colleague, Yup Van Agteren, that, you know, something that we've been really argued against, arguing against in the research and happiness, uh, the, the happiness research world is the arbitrary nature of many of the decisions that are made. So, you know, you, you get things like here are the five ways to build happiness or um, these three things will change your life, whatever that kind of mentality is put out into the world. Um, you know, and people go wrong where they pretend or they exp express that these things are almost universal. And I think Gad has, has sidestepped this, this issue firstly, by never making the claim that this, um, these are universal. I th what's the title of the book? It's um, The Sad Truth. You know, it's his opinion, um, which is a nice sort of admission. It's a good opinion, but it's, you know, it's his, it's, it's his opinion. Um, but I think by, by, so he's not claiming that these things are universal, but by drawing on tradition and evolutionary theory, there is this confidence instilled that 
sorry, while while um while these points aren't um these eight recommendations aren't the only recommendations, sorry, that's what I meant by universal there. I meant complete. While these aren't all encompassing all the recommendations that you need, um, here are eight that you can have a lot of confidence in, basically. And I think that's just a nice style. Um so the second the second raised point i guess is this this um balance between um sort of individual responsibility versus sort of paternalistic advice um so i think you know it's really there's really this um tradition of saying like here are the five things and here's exactly how you do them that's almost comes from this very paternalistic lens to building happiness um and so I, you know, I'm a bit conflicted by the earlier comments that I made about being disappointed by the lack of support or the lack of advice on how to make decisions. Um, yeah, I think it is a balancing act between this sort of modern need for easy answers, like just give me the top 10 ways, put it in the list on, um, on Reddit for me or something, uh, versus the need for people to adopt responsibility or for, for introspection or reflection in their own life and you know, arrive at that answer in time. And, um, you know, I think Gad, basically any episode of anything he's ever done would, would tell you that he's against sort of modern paternalistic approaches. Um, and I agree that in many ways for a generic book, that wouldn't be effective anyway to sort of say like, this is how you do it. Um, so I think what he's done in the book really nicely is left the door wide open for people to investigate their own lives. Um, and in, in most, most importantly, I guess, there is no way of knowing most of this stuff other than to try to try one way, you know, like if you say like, like, what's the answer to this thing in your life? You don't really know. So the answer instead is, is to try something to be, to be paying attention and to continue to learn along the way. And I think that's where the anecdotes in every chapter really paint a nice picture of, um, a life course of learning and tweaking to improve happiness, um, in his life. So the third, the third highlight, um, that the book raised for me was then the intentionality um, of happiness. So is, you know, really is intentionality the driver of happiness? I think it raised the question of how many of our decisions that we make in life, the big ones and the small ones are actually influenced by other forces, um, at, particularly when they're sort of unintentional or implicit. Um, and I think that really speaks to that dot point, you know, like um, living the life, live the life you want, not necessarily the life expected of you. I think we so often fall into the lives that are expected of us or the roles that are expected of us um, to our detriment, basically. And so I think so many of the, so many of the chapters and the sort of the recommendations of happiness are really about offering a range of places to examine your life. Um, you know, I think so much of the psychological literature and most of these happiness books and, and even the work that we do, um, not that, you know, it's very, it's very, um, programmatized. So it's very much like, here's a thing, here are some psychological skills that can be useful. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I think it was a nice, um, breath of fresh air in a way to rather than say like, here are some practical things you can take, here are some skills you can take. Um, it was more like here, are, here are a range of places that you can examine in your life, as I said. Um, you know, it draws on Socrates, obviously the, the, unexamined, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think it was a useful style to introduce many of these key concepts of happiness to a large audience. So obviously no re one recommendation works for all people. And I think um, 
yeah, like I say, really the book at the end, at the end of it, really invites people to to examine their lives, and it gives you sort of eight places to start looking. Um, so it's just some overall points um, along the way. One, you know, the most uncharitable way of looking at the book is to say there's nothing new here. You know, this is all basic stuff. Um, but I think that would be an unfair and it would probably be wrong because, you know, when someone's basing their recommendations on ancient wisdom, there shouldn't be anything new. Um, the point here is that there's a very strong and clear reminder of how modern, po- how modern people often find themselves opposing ancient wisdom. And I think this book gives a really strong impetus on how to address some of these conflicts in our own lives. The chapters that I enjoyed most were the ones that I guess were most novel, um, probably meaning that they were the most missing from the positive psychology literature. So the chapter that um, I've heard him mention already on on a different podcast, so I'm I'm happy to mention it as well, was about this idea of moderation um, and moderation as an inverted U-shape. So this idea, if you think of an upside-down U, things that are good for you, um, you know, too much of them or too little of them can be unhelpful. Um, And I think that that was a nice idea of, you know, this idea, Again, this kind of call to reflect on your life rather than sort of like saying, this is what you do, a call to reflect on um, how much of this thing that's good for you is the right amount for the right context. And so there are lots of examples, I think, that come to mind from the positive psychology literature, things like flow being the optimal amount of stress for the right amount of growth, you know, where too much or too little stress can cause issues. Um and I think Gad, to be honest, would really enjoy reading um, Lindsay Odes' well-being literacy work. And Lindsay was obviously um, the latest guest that we've had on the show, um, where he talks, you know, a, a lot of the concepts are really overlapping, um, particularly Lindsay's emphasis on uh, contextually relevant communication about and for well-being. This idea that exactly as Gad lays it out, there is no... Um, absolute good thing. It's all relative when it comes to our well-being. So this idea of being contextually appropriate, um, I think he's he's um, he would really get a kick out of reading um, Lindsay's Lindsay's work, as as most people do. Um, and the second chapter that I really like was about authenticity, and why I liked it was that it framed authenticity. As I said, I think at the start of the episode, it really framed like this good thing, you know, this thing like authenticity and, and the well-being literature has covered off authenticity a million times. But what the research world I don't think has done is framed authenticity as a really valuable thing for a real world problem. And so if you watched the episode last week where I did a bit of a breakdown on my key takeaways from IPA, um, it was a fellow Canadian migrant, Tayab Rashid, um, who really emphasized in, in a in a in a talk about improving the world of post psych, he really emphasized emphasized this idea that to be relevant in the world, positive psychology has to be focused and oriented towards real world problems, um, or face the prospect of, like I say, becoming irrelevant. And I think this was a really, really interesting chapter demonstrating that exact point. So um Gad introduced the chapter of authenticity, um but contextualizes it in the face of big issues that modern society face. So I won't go into the detail too much, but 
you know, talking about it in like almost like contextualizing it in the the discussion around anti-fragility, around victim mentality, the rise of echo chambers. You really get this sense that, you know, rather, you know, when someone gives you advice, like authenticity is good for you, you go like, yeah, everything's good for me. Like there's lots of things I can worry about. But when you frame it in opposition to something that you're concerned about, it becomes so much more valuable. And I guess that's the marketing professor coming through. Um, but it was exactly, basically, it was basically an example of what Tayab Rashid was calling for. And I think that's a really useful chapter. If nothing else, just to pick that up as a style, as a communication style. I think the, the newest part for me was probably looking at happiness through an evolutionary lens. Um, and that was certainly not something I've seen very commonly in the well-being or the post-psych literature. An example of this is probably, you, you might have heard is, you know, not, not in the book, but just an example that you may have come across is like, you know, something like the negativity bias, where we talk about it as being something that's helped us to survive, but not necessarily to thrive. So talking about, um, you know, you know, our ancestors, the ones that were focused on noticing the beautiful things and admiring beauty, weren't the ones who survived. It's the ones that survived were those who were focusing on threats and always sort of vigilant. And that's left us with this evolutionary trait. Um, so it was interesting to hear most of these chapters really break down an evolutionary sort of explanation of what might have produced um, some of these sort of natural traits that we have as humans. But importantly, sort of suggested some ways that we could actually override or, or even divert these natural instincts into, some, into something that can be a bit more productive for ourselves and our sense of happiness. So along the way, um, you know, there are instructive anecdotes about Gad's life. Um, I think uh, if you're a fan of Gad, you're going to get a nice insight into his life, uh, which is which is just nice when you, you know you have sort of like an online personality that you that you like to support. If you haven't been a fan, I think there's it's still going to be interesting basically for you. So, look, the book is already a bestseller. It's clearly Gad has a huge audience in Australia, which is just unexpected but interesting is the book is already a top seller in Australia. Um, I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's a bit of a breath of fresh air. I think it's something different. Um, it's fun. Like I said, it's a brief read. And um, so I would recommend to check it out. Um, just checking through my notes, but I think that's basically it. Um, yeah. I mean, just the fact I think he, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast for the ninth time. So it's like, you know, this will be the greatest, most sold happiness book. I shouldn't say greatest. I mean, the most sold happiness book of all time, just as a product of um, of the current literature, uh, the current environment. So um, yeah, I hope Gad sees this. I hope he enjoys it. And um, really keen, like more importantly, to hear what you think. Let me know. And if you've read the book or if you've got other books you'd like me to review, um, please let me know. You can, you know, so all the other stuff like subscribe to the show, find us on Spotify, on YouTube, subscribe everywhere, Apple Podcasts, um, and you can support the show on locals.com as well if this is something that you're interested in. So thank you and um, enjoy. Enjoy.